cold and wet in my shorts down here. You think you could get somebody for me? Guys? Listen, fellas? Hey. Ah, uh, you guys are no help. I'm cold and I'm wet and there's nothing I can do about it. It's okay, Mikey. Mommy's here. Mommy's here. Yeah. Oh, very nice. That mommy person's here again. She's okay. I like her. Now, let me get this straight. I start crying, and she comes in with a bottle. Crying. Well, I can definitely handle crying. Changing hormones, over 80% of all women experience postpartum depression. Well, I'm not gonna. <laughs> like a lot of parents I know, I can't always remember the birthday of someone I love. She understands, of course. Help! Help! Somebody burnt me before I blow up! Oh! Uh, oh, thank you. That's it. You have some exotic baby disease. And I look like I could play the lead in Night of the Living Dead. Hey everybody, welcome to Hope. My name is Scott Raines. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm guessing you were not expecting to see Kirstie Alley in a clip from Look Who's Talking when you showed up for worship. Uh, the movie came out in 1989. I was a senior in high school. Kirstie Alley was a star on a sitcom called Cheers, the place where everybody knows your name. And did you recognize the voice of the actor who's playing the adult voice of the inner thoughts of Mikey the baby? That was Bruce Willis. Uh, Bruce Willis, also a sitcom star in the late 80s in the sitcom Moonlighting, which they just released on Netflix if you want to get caught up on uh, your Moonlighting episodes. But what's fascinating to me, a year earlier, in 1988, he, was, he became a, a real star because of his role in a little Christmas movie, Die Hard. Isn't that interesting? He's this action hero in Die Hard. The next role he takes is the voice of a baby. Interesting career path for him. It shows how uh, wide his you know, acting skills are, I guess. But none of that has anything to do with what we're supposed to talk about. Um, why did I want to start with that clip? Mikey the baby is learning a really important lesson about how life works. When I'm uncomfortable, uh, when I need to burp or need to change a diaper, or when I'm hungry and I cry, this mommy person shows up, and I kind of like that. I, I, I like the comfort and the care this grown-up provides. It's interesting to me, as you keep watching that clip, it's not just babies who 
go through experiences in life that cause them to want to cry out for help and, and to long for someone who would just care for them and comfort them. Every single one of us go through those kinds of experiences in life. And, and that gimmick that was kind of cute in that movie in 1989, how about we have an adult be the voice of the inner thoughts of a, a baby? Part of what you hear in Bruce Willis's voice throughout the course of this movie, Mikey is experiencing some things for the very first time in his life, and he's trying to make sense of his experiences. Isn't that life for each of us? We experience some things for the very first time in our life, some things we've experienced them multiple times in our life, and yet we still find ourselves trying to make sense of our experiences. I want us to look at Psalm 131 today. We'll start in verse 1. It's on the screen. Read this out loud with me. Lord, my heart is not proud. My eyes are not haughty. I don't concern myself with matters too great or too awesome for me to grasp. One of the things I love about uh, reading scripture together is you come across words that we don't typically use in our regular day-to-day living, uh, like haughty. Now, I hear this word a lot, like, that Pastor Scott is such a haughty, but uh, <laughs> that's spelled differently. It's a different word. Sorry. Uh, I, I heard a snort out there. That's good. Uh, haughty, in the biblical sense, means someone who is so arrogant so puffed up with pride that they believe they have an answer for everything, an answer for every question. Whatever the circumstance might be, whatever the situation might be, whatever the experience you're going through, a haughty person from this arrogant place thinks they have the answers, they have it all figured out, they know the right thing to do and the right thing to say at all times. Adults can sometimes be haughty, I seldom see babies who are haughty, infants who are haughty, sixth graders who are haughty. Yesterday was the sixth grade uh, Power Life retreat. Uh, Power Life is our ministry to middle school students. At the end of the retreat, they all gathered here last night at five o'clock for the five o'clock Saturday worship service. And they were here and their small group, adult small group leaders were here with them. Can we just praise God for a second? Would you give God a clap offering for small group leaders in student ministry, whether it's Power Life or Ignition? And I I know you know this, but why do we have small group leaders for these ministries? It's because middle school students and high school students are going through things, sometimes for the very first time, and they're trying to make sense of their experiences. It's nice to have an adult who is with them who has experienced some of these things before. Might not have all the answers. We certainly do not expect our small group leaders to have all the answers. And sometimes people wonder, do you have enough small group leaders for Power Life and Ignition? And the answer is sort of. Our desire is that those ministries would always be growing. We have about 300 students in uh, Power Life, about 100 students in uh, Ignition, which is, you know, a, a good group of kids. But there's a lot more middle school and high school students in this town that we can be reaching. And so as those ministries grow, we're always going to be needing more adults who can walk alongside those students. And if that's something that interests you at all, Emily Beltram, our minister of children and students, would love to talk to you about uh, serving in that way. One of the interesting things we see happening as we move from childhood to adulthood, as it comes to living a life of faith, there's the strange things where we become convinced What it means to be spiritually mature, what it means to be a person of deep faith is I've got all the answers. I've figured it all out. I've become self-sufficient and self-reliant. 
The writer of Psalm 131 says, that's not me. I don't concern myself with matters too great or too awesome for me to grasp. In other words, there are plenty of things that happen in my life, plenty of things that happen in this world that I simply do not have answers for. Things that happen in my life, experiences that I go through that leave me in a very uncomfortable, unsettled kind of place on the inside. Experiences that really uh, put me in this place where all I want to do is break down and cry. Think about your life over the last week. Anything going on in your life, anything going on in our world that's moving you to that kind of a place, a place where you feel as helpless as a little baby, just wishing someone would pick you up and hold you close and comfort your troubled soul. The writer of Psalm 131 is showing us the way from childhood to adulthood, from immaturity to maturity as it relates to living a life of faith. But the writer of Psalm 131 is pretty clear. The path to spiritual maturity is not the path to self-sufficiency, self-reliance. It's a very different kind of path. You keep reading through Psalm 131, you get to verse 2. We'll put it up on the screen. Let's read this out loud together. Instead, I have calmed and quieted myself like a weaned child who no longer cries for its mother's milk. Yes, like a weaned child is my soul within me. Now, if you've been tracking along with me so far, you might find yourself thinking, time out here, preacher boy. This seems to be the exact description of a person who is self-reliant and self-sufficient. I've calmed myself. I've quieted myself. I no longer have to cry out for help. I've learned to help myself. But before we decide this is the point of this verse, this is what the psalm writer is trying to say, encouraging us to be self-sufficient, we have to at least ask the question, how? How does the writer of Psalm 131 get to a place where their soul is calm and quiet? How do any of us, how do any of us who are serious about living a life of faith how do we get to a place where regardless of what's going on out there, what's going on around us that is worrisome, concerning, troublesome, scary, no matter what's going on out there, on the inside something very different is happening. On the inside, my soul is still. The writer of Psalm 131 gives us the answer to the how. The how has very little to do with the quality of my faith, the strength of my faith, the depth of my faith has everything to do with the object of my faith. Here's verse 3. We'll put it up on the screen. Read this out loud with me. O Israel, put your hope in the Lord now and always. What gets us to a place where our soul can be still and quiet and calm and peaceful when the world is chaotic and everything but... What's the focus of my hope? What's the focus of my trust? What's the focus of my faith? Uh, at Hope this year, we've taken up the challenge of reading the whole Holy Bible. So every week we have Bible readings, uh, some from the Old Testament, some from the New Testament. And as we go through these weekly readings, at the end of 52 weeks, we'll have read through the Bible from cover to cover. This week, the 
Old Testament readings were from Jeremiah, the first 17 chapters of the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah is sometimes referred to as the weeping prophet because God has appointed him to be the prophet who communicates to God's people during one of the darkest times in the history of the nation of Israel. It's in the decades leading up to the conquest of Jerusalem, the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem at the hands of King Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians, the enemies of God's people. These are people that Jeremiah is talking to who are very familiar with the horror of war and violence and unspeakable atrocities that take place in the Middle East. Why are we encouraging you to read through the whole Holy Bible this year? It's pretty dang relevant. The more things change, the more they stay the same. And so the wisdom of People like Jeremiah, people like the writer of Psalm 131. It is just as relevant today as it was nearly three millennia ago when it was first written down. O Israel, O people of God, O us, put your hope in the Lord now and always. Again, we come to the how question. How do we do that? How do we become people who trust in the Lord, put our hope in the Lord, have faith in the Lord? no matter what's going on? Well, the New Testament reading is actually pretty helpful for that this week. We're in the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, Biblical scholars often refer to this as the hall of fame of faith, where it takes us back, the writer of the book of Hebrews takes us back to the heroes of the Hebrew scripture, like Abraham and Sarah, that God calls to them and God says, I am going to turn your family into a great nation and all the nations on earth are going to be blessed through you. So I want you to leave everything that's familiar, everything that's comfortable, and I want you to go to the place that I will show you. I'm not going to tell you where that place is. Uh, You're on a need-to-know basis. When we get there, you'll know. Just trust me, the Lord says. Just trust me. Uh, We are reminded of Sarah and her struggles with infertility as we read through the Hall of Fame of Faith that she had this good desire, she wanted to be a mother. She was longing for a child who she could comfort when that child was crying. But she has to wait and wait and wait. In the process of waiting, she starts to put her trust in herself more than in the Lord. And so God's always reminding, trust me, trust me, trust me. We read about different men and women all through this chapter who go through experiences and circumstances in life that seemed like it would make it really easy for people to give up, to lose hope, to turn away from God. And yet, they are included in the Hall of Fame of Faith as examples of people who exhibit great faith. Hebrews chapter 11 begins with a definition of faith. It's up on the screen. Let's read this out loud together. Faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of things we cannot see. Chapter 11 begins with a definition of faith because uh, the previous chapter has some of these examples of things that go on in life that make it very easy for us to give up and to lose faith, some specific examples. I've been talking to a lot of people in our church community, in our neighboring communities who are in that kind of place, a, a place where it's easy to give up, easy to lose faith. Like, how do I keep the faith given the circumstances that are going on around me? 
people who have lost a job, the bills continue to pile up, no prospects for a new job any time soon, how do I keep the faith when I'm going through situations like that? People who are battling addictions, they want to remain sober, but the circumstances of their life are causing them to say, that temptation looks pretty tempting. How do I keep the faith? People whose marriages have come crashing to an end, and the sadness and sorrow and disappointment, the hurt and the pain that's connected when relationships end like that. And, and sometimes there's this negative self-talk. When a marriage ends, people start to convince themselves, I've got this fatal flaw. Maybe I'm just not compatible with long-term relationships. Maybe there's something unlovable about me. That's who I am. How do I keep the faith when I'm becoming convinced I'm not lovable? Sometimes it's the heartbreak of a medical diagnosis that puts us into this kind of place. We, it's so easy to take our health for granted when we have good health. And then it's gone. Then there's the scary diagnosis and the, the words we don't want to hear. And how do you keep the faith when you're going through circumstances like that? Uh, my older brother, Sean, has season tickets to University of Iowa football games. So I try to get over three or four times a year, hang out with my brother, bring one of our kids or two of our kids, and spend a day at Kinnick Stadium. The reality is, in my life, I've spent more time across the street from Kinnick Stadium than I have in Kinnick Stadium in the hospitals, including the children's hospital. The first church where I was a pastor was in Buffalo, Iowa, just downstream from Davenport, right on the Mississippi River. So when people in that church and that community got sick, often they ended up in Iowa City, and I would go to visit and to listen and to read scripture and to pray and to encourage them to keep the faith, whatever they were going through, to remind them God is a God who heals. Uh, three of our children were born when we lived in Buffalo. They were born at Genesis East Hospital in Davenport. Uh, when Shaden was born, they rushed him to the NICU right away. Uh, it took them three days to figure out what was going on. After the third day, they said, we're going to have to take him to Iowa City for surgery when he's five days old. Uh, we celebrated Kylie's birthday on top of the hospital because we were there for Shaden's surgery. It's just strange days. Surgery went great. We got to go home. We were praising God. When Shaden was eight weeks old, I was putting him to bed, and I looked in his eye, and I could not make out a pupil. It was just this gray, marbly haze, and I'd never seen anything like it before, but I assumed this is not good news. I said to Wendy, we're going to the ER, and on the way to the ER, I'm like talking with God, okay, Lord, I'm not sure I know how to be a father of a child who cannot see. Uh, they diagnosed Shaden with congenital glaucoma. I, I, I'd heard of glaucoma before, but uh, glaucoma is this, uh, there's liquid flowing into and out of our eyes at all times. And glaucoma means it's not regulated well. So you're getting too little liquid in your eye or too much liquid. And for Shaden, it was too much. The liquid was flowing in, but not flowing out. And the doctor said, your eye is slowly ballooning up and that's not going to end well. But you can go to Iowa City, and there's a guy there who's got this uh, surgical procedure that might be able to help. Three surgeries later, Shaden's eyes are just fine, and he's doing great. Uh, when uh, Saffron was born, she was deaf, and so we started working with the hospitals in Iowa City on the process of getting cochlear implants. When she was 15 uh, months old, she got the bilateral cochlear implants. And three months later, it was our son Kemble's eighth birthday party, 
And at the end of the birthday party, I was putting saffron to bed, and I noticed a massive uh, infection in the incision above her ear where the implants had gone in. So we were living in Ankeny at the time, drove down to the ER in Des Moines, and they immediately sent us to Iowa City. Uh, we sped over there and got pulled over, but the officer said, let me escort you the rest of the way. So, whew, that was good. Everything went fine. Our kids are just fine today. But there were moments, days, weeks, where there was an outcome we were hoping for, and we had to live by faith until that day arrived. Of course, when you go to Iowa City for a football game these days, one of the highlights is a tradition that happens at the end of the first quarter. Take a look. So many great traditions in college football, as we know. Jump around at Wisconsin, Howard's Rock at Clemson, dotting the eye at Ohio State. But perhaps none greater than the one created by fans in 2017 at Iowa. Six-plus seasons later, the wave, as it's known, is as powerful as ever. But for two people, last Saturday night at Kinnick Stadium, it was more than a tradition. It was a connection, more than 30 years in the making. Emotion that's become tradition that creates connection between a hospital floor of young cancer patients and a stadium full of Iowa fans. For two of those fans on this night, the connection runs deeper. I just feel grateful that I was diagnosed with a cancer that had a 25% chance of surviving past five years. But I am here today, 32 years later. Long before the Iowa wave was born, Jennifer was a young athlete from Dubuque whose life changed after a school physical with a doctor's single sentence. He said those three words. He said, you have cancer. And um, I actually just remember staring into his fish tank while he told my mom, you know, what that meant. It's now known as acute myeloid leukemia. The diagnosis would lead Jennifer to the University of Iowa Children's Hospital, more than nine months of grueling chemotherapy and a bone marrow transplant. I reacted pretty harshly to some of the chemotherapy that they gave me. And at one point, I had a fever of 106.8 degrees. At that point, I thought that it was possible that I, I might not um, make it through. I might not make it through. I don't know how this is going to end. Anything going on in your life and in our world that's leading you to these kinds of thoughts. Monday's my day off. Uh, last Monday, a friend from church asked me if I wanted to go golfing, and he had a couple other friends. So we had a foursome, and we played nine holes, and when we got done golfing, we went into the clubhouse, uh, ordered a pizza, and had a conversation. At one point in the conversation, one of the guys said, hey, did you see 60 Minutes last Sunday night? They had an interview with the godfather of artificial intelligence, and he was talking about some of his concerns about where all of this might be going. 
And we all, four of us who had golfed and were eating that pizza together, we were like, yeah, concerning, troublesome, worrisome, not so much for ourselves, but what it might mean for grandchildren and great-grandchildren. Whenever I find myself having those kinds of conversations, I always think about my grandparents. My grandparents who came of age during the Great Depression. My grandparents who made a decision, hey, let's get married and let's start having children during World War II. I wonder how many times they thought, we might not make it through, I'm not sure how this is going to end. And I wonder how many conversations they had around holiday gatherings with family or with neighbors, friends, after the bomb dropped on Nagasaki and Hiroshima. Whew. Real concerns, real worries for where things are headed, where things are going. What, not so much for us, but what's it going to mean for our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren? So I brought that up with the guys at the golf course and we were all in agreement that every generation, every generation of human beings, we go through experiences that leave us to this kind of place. And then the question for us, since we're gathered at worship today, what does it look like to keep the faith? And part of what it looks like is to become people who are comfortable living in a faithful tension where on the one hand, I will be honest, I will not pretend away, I will not live in a, I don't know, naive obliviousness. There are real problems and real challenges and real concerns and worries and fears. And I will acknowledge that. And at the same time, I will acknowledge there's a very real God who really loves me and who really loves my family and your family and our world. And the more I learn to live, to keep those in tension, in a faithful tension, I develop the kind of faith that stills my soul. Be still my soul, the Lord is on thy side. Bear patiently the cross of grief or pain leave to thy god to order and provide in every change he faithful will repay be still my soul thy best thy heavenly friend
us hasting on when we shall be forever with the Lord when disappointment grief and fear are gone sorrow for God love's purest joys restored safe and blessed we shall meet at last thank you Lindsay I want us to read together these verses from Hebrews chapter 10. Read it out loud with me. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep his promise. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works, and let us not neglect our meeting together. Spiritual maturity, uh, deepening faith, is not about becoming more and more self-reliant. It's about becoming more and more God-reliant. And one of the things that helps us become God-reliant is belonging to the community of faith. Notice the communal language that gets used here. Let us hold tightly to the hope we affirm. Let us think of ways to motivate one another. In other words, a life of faith is not just a me and God private thing. It's a community thing. It's for the sake of one another. Let us meet together, not in some sort of, oh, you better show up for worship or else, but as an invitation. As an invitation. Wherever two or more are gathered together in my name, there I am with you, there I am among you. This is the promise of God. Uh, That hymn that Lindsay just sang, Be Still My Soul, Uh, I was scrolling through Twitter about a month ago, and someone I follow on Twitter asked, what are some of your favorite lyrics from the old hymns of the faith? And hundreds of comments, people posting lyrics to their favorite hymns. When I read the lyrics of this one, uh, it resonated with me, and I looked to see, is there going to be a theme coming up in the preaching schedule where it would make sense to have Lindsay sing that song and This was the weekend. For about a month now, we've been planning for this, and I've been listening to that song. A lot of different artists, a lot of different versions, excellent renditions. But there's something special, something unique that happens here in the sanctuary as we listen to those words. And and part of what makes it unique is I look around the room, and I know many of your stories. And I know what you're going through that has your soul unsettled that's preventing your soul from being still. But to hear Lindsay sing these words and to be able to encourage us to put our hope and trust and faith anew in the promises of God, that we can hold on to our faith, we can persevere, there's something special about it. We don't have to hope, we don't have to pray, Lord, please be here with us. We can have faith that God is with us right now, in this moment. And there's nothing better than that. 
There's nothing better than that. The writer of the book of Hebrews explains that these great men and women of faith that get talked about in the Hall of Fame of Faith, they were looking for something better. They were looking for a better place. They were looking for a better life. And the good news is God had something better in mind for them. And God has something better in mind for each one of us. Again, as you read through the book of Hebrews, it's written to people who are going through pretty similar stuff to the people in Jeremiah's day. Hardship, suffering, pain. And, and one of the themes of the book of Hebrews is how do we endure? How do we persevere? How do we keep the faith when we go through all the stuff we go through in life? You get to verse 34 of Hebrews chapter 10. It says, you knew there were better things waiting for you that will last forever. That's how you were able to keep the faith. That's how you were able to endure and persevere when you went through hard things. You knew something better was ahead, something eternal. To move from childhood to adulthood, from spiritual immaturity to maturity, part of what is needed and necessary is to learn to live with an eternal perspective. And we've got to be careful here because sometimes we think if I'm living with an eternal perspective, that means I will be unaffected by the events of the here and now. But Jesus modeled something very different for us. Jesus was absolutely affected. He wept when people he loved died. Jesus was affected by suffering and pain and violence and injustice in his life and in his world. Jesus was affected by the here and now, and yet through it all, his soul remained still. Be still, my soul. The Lord doth undertake to guide the future as he guides the past. This is the promise. But sometimes it's hard to trust this promise. And we find ourselves like, Lord, I don't know where you're guiding this ship. I don't know why you don't intervene. Lord, why don't you answer my prayer the way I want that prayer to be answered and according to the timeline that I'd like it to be answered? These are all good questions, important questions, faithful questions. Bring these questions to God and keep on asking God these kinds of questions. There are other questions to ask as well, good questions. How do I keep the faith when my soul is troubled? How do I keep the faith when I'm full of all these questions? Paul gives us some helpful wisdom in 2 Corinthians. We don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. Tre Trevor Riedemann, longtime hope guy, took this picture in September of 2014. We were in the middle of the construction process of our church. And so after we finished worship one Sunday at uh, Prairie Ridge Middle School, we invited people to an open house here so they could walk through this incomplete construction process and see, oh, here's where the worship center is, and here's where Hope Kids is going to be, and here's where the nursery is. So this window is that window at the front of the worship center. And a couple of girls nine years ago, holding hands, fixing their gaze on things that cannot be seen. I don't know what it looks like for you and for me, but part of what it includes is what we're doing right now. That there are times that we show up for worship 
and we can't see that God is working, and it doesn't feel like God is working. But we come and we are reminded to keep the faith, that the Lord is watching over us, that the Lord never slumbers or sleeps, that the Lord is always working for our good, whether we see it or not, whether we feel it or not. Again, that's part of why it's so important to belong to the gathered community of faith. Because when one part of the body rejoices, we can all rejoice. When one part of the body suffers, we all suffer along with you. To suffer with someone is the literal definition of compassion. And as we do this life of faith thing together, your story becomes my story and my story becomes your story. And we can encourage and help each other keep the faith all the days of our life. Uh, Jennifer Swanton, the woman in that video we looked at a little bit earlier, the Hawkeye wave, she describes this cancer diagnosis early in her life as the most difficult time of her life, but she does not have to go through it alone. Take a look. Mary was a pediatric oncology nurse at Iowa Children's there for all her patients, including Jennifer. Every day I come and I help families who are dealing with just the worst possible situation they could ever have in their life. The thought of the possibility of losing their child and if I can make a small difference in that journey for them. Children who look me straight in the eye and ask me if they're going to die, I will always be honest with them um, so those are the hard times, I think. I'm just, you know, thankful for um, just her being the person that she was to, to my family. She was an integral part of my care and that difficult time in our lives. Even after three decades at the hospital, Mary likes to walk to work. But on this day, She's headed for a special reunion. Hi, Jennifer. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> 32 years later. Oh, my God. Oh, you look fabulous. Thank you. Oh, my God. <laughs> this is so cute. It's so good to see you. You look amazing. <laughs> Thank you. Wow. You. I feel really old right now. <laughs> she is an amazing young woman, and I had a very small part in getting her through a very difficult time. I just felt that time, you know, had never passed. The day after their reunion, the survivor and the nurse were together again. For each, it was their first time being part of the wave and the tradition and the connection. It's time to support and it's time to inspire. Let's send our encouragement to the kids and their families watching the game. I just want them to keep fighting. They can be just like me 30 plus years later, even though the statistics may not say so. That doesn't matter. Together we can be a part of something that's incredibly beautiful and know the impact that it's having for each one of those kids that's at the window waving back to us. Let's stand together. 
Together we can be a part of something incredibly beautiful, she says. And she's talking about that tradition, but she could just as easily have been talking about the church. Let's read this verse together, Hebrews 12, verse 1. Read it out loud with me. Since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. Let us run with endurance. Let us persevere. Let us keep the faith. It's a marathon, not a sprint. Well, maybe it's more like a steeplechase. You've got to jump over things, and you fall into pits of water and mud, and it's just, but there are people cheering you along. You don't have to do it alone. We get to do it together. Take a look around the room. Wave at people around the room. We're surrounded by a huge cloud of witnesses to the life of faith to help us keep the faith, to help us keep our focus on the object of our faith. Let's do that right now as we worship in song.